to the book of James, James chapter 1, uh, James chapter 1, and uh, tonight we're going to be discussing the secret of temptations. Temptations uh, come in all shapes and sizes, degrees of influence, and varying rates of attack. Our minds are constantly bombarded with thoughts, some of them good. Some of them, neither good nor bad, they're just they are, and some of them sinful. And alluring us to commit sin or depart from the path of righteousness. Your life is a series of decisions. If we make the wrong decisions in life, you have the possibility of many days or many years of heartache. It is important that we make right decisions. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then verses 12 through 18, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with a word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And what God calls us to do is endure temptations, don't give in to them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I sure do thank you for this evening. Father, I thank you for... Uh, this morning and the visitors, the once again, Lord, you're bringing more people. Father, I pray that you'd help us to go further and reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I know there's various prayer requests for those who are ill, and Lord, I pray that you'd help them. And Father, tonight as we look at your word, I need your help once again as your humble servant. Father, I pray that we would be found faithful and Lord, all of us, every last one of us, will be subjected to a temptation to do wrong. And we have a choice. And Lord, I pray that as we learn the Word of God, the choices we make would be based upon biblical principles to keep us from unnecessary heartaches. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for being our gracious Savior. I yield tonight to thee. I need you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. I want you to understand as we look in verses 2 through 4, as well as verses 13 and 16 through 18, the reality of temptations is you will be tempted. I don't care who you are, you will be tempted. Understand this also that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted there in the 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. Satan tried to get Jesus to commit sin. 
Temptations and trials are going to come to the Christian life. But the intent, as God tells us here, it is to work patience. Count it all joy when you fall into a diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I don't know about you, but patience isn't necessarily one of those uh, fruit of the Spirit. I'm jumping up in joy saying, give me that. I know we need it, but patience, I think most people, are, and especially I think in Western cultures, we have fast food, we have microwaves, we have all sorts of instruments to do it and give it to me now. But patience comes as coming through temptations and trials. Now, God does not tempt, but He sure allows me to be tempted. He will not tempt you to do wrong. That is exclusively for those who are fallen in nature. God provides every good gift and every perfect gift. We find in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally. And upbraideth not, it shall be given him. Understand this, if you're going through a trial or you're going through a temptation where you're, you're struggling, we have the word of God, I can come to God and get wisdom. In addition, in James chapter 3, verse 17, very similar to this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy it is pure god's wisdom is pure it's not going to set you uneasy no not if god's good gifts it is also non-harmful if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children this is matthew chapter 7 verse 11 how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him every good gift and every perfect gift comes from god god's gifts are non-harmful he gives the gift of God as eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's salvation. There's the love of God. There's the eternal life. There's different spiritual gifts. There's grace for salvation. There's ministerial gifts, as he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. The gifts that God gives are good. But he also allows us in these gifts, he allows us, to face temptations. Now, <clears throat> as we look again at this very thing, you know, it says in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. And then verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted to the evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God is light. God, let there be light. And there was light. I mean, God is the origin of light. He is the provider and sustainer of all light. He is the everlasting one. He is the light of one day. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again, saying to, uh, unto them, again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. God is light. And if God is light, he's not going to lead you into darkness. Never will God lead you into darkness. He is light. That would be the opposite of his character. I mean, he very, he, that's John chapter 8, verse 12. He shines his heart, uh, light into our hearts and truths about himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our heart. 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God is light. He doesn't tempt you with evil. We can't say, God tempted me with evil. No, he didn't. Even in the fact of Job, God allowed Satan to, God allowed Satan to tempt Job. He allowed Satan to do some things proving of Job's faithfulness. Job's trial was a trial of patience. We also understand that God is unchanging. Look with me at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the last book of the, New Te- of the Old Testament, excuse me, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God doesn't change his nature. He also, God does not go back on his unconditional promises based on humanity's actions. I'd like you to look with me here. Look with me at Romans chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 11. I'm just doing a few of the things on God's character because if someone ever says, God tempted me, you know they don't understand God. Because God, that's Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 28. God is not. He doesn't change. He is light. So for God to tempt you, he's trying to pull, if that is the statement is true, which it's not, he would be trying to pull you into darkness. God will never pull me into darkness. Because he is, that would be a different God. In Romans chapter 11, verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, he's talking about believers, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You see, God, what he, the promises that God gives, God's saying without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. For the believer, he has a plan for your life. The gifts and the calling of God upon your life, God's not going to change. He has a plan for your life. I want you to like to look, look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. If you find the T books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. All the T books are together in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. I'm just. I wanted to lay a little bit of foundational understanding about God. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So God says, I'm not going to tempt you. He may allow you to go through a hard time. He allowed Israel to go through the wilderness. Now, in their own lustful hearts, there was many temptations. Now, What is the result? You might be saying, Pastor, man, there's some horrible temptations. I I think it was someone recently I was talking to, and they said, man, I left church, and there was a temptation to do wrong, to drink. They said, I said, no, and guess what? There's a blessing in saying no to the temptation. Let's look at the word endureth here. James chapter 1, verse 12. The word 
<clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is a man that endureth temptation. That means to patiently, courageously endure, wait, and remain throughout a trial or test to stand your ground and persevere. You said, I'm not moving. You can't deter me from the path I'm on. This is solid ground. There's some rewards to temptation. You see, God is watching His children. He's watching how we live our lives. There may, look, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a little bit lengthier passage of Scripture. And there's some individuals that say, once I become a Christian, if I can't lose my salvation, then I can live however I want. Hey, I can go commit sin. I can do all these bad things. I can't lose my salvation, right? But I want to tell you, if you say no to temptations and yes to God, there are rewards. There's also the continued presence and peace of God in your life. In Romans chapter 6, I, I show whom I serve by whom I yield to temptations. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Would you follow along with me? Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, the very question here as we start off, if I'm a Christian, why would I want to stay in sin? Why do I want to continue to do that? God forbid. That is the strongest uh, renouncing, he is saying, if you know, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Why would I want to continue in sin? God's grace is upon me. God's grace is upon me. He's saying, no, don't continue in sin. God forbid you should go that. I mean, this is, I mean, you are with all your might saying that is a bad idea. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not. So many of us, as we're baptized in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. You see, when the very fact here, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The very picture at baptism is someone saying, I'm no longer, I no longer belong to me. My master is no longer me. I'm uh, just as you're in the water, you're standing in the water, you go under the water as you're dead to yourself as a picture, like Christ died, he went into the ground, he rose again, he rose again three days later. When you come up out of that water, it is a picture that the, the curse of sin is defeated. When you come up out of that water, you're saying, I am a new creature in Christ. Now, the baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but the symbolism, the picture that is seen is I've died to Chris and I'm now alive to serve Jesus because the curse has been broken. I'm no longer under the bondage of chains. Go on. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Christ died one time on that cross. 
Death hath no more dominion over him. I went into, Christ went into that grave. Three days later, he rose again, and sin and the curse on sin was defeated. We do not, we are no longer child of Satan. We are no longer under the law that says guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm now saying free. I'm now saying pure. I'm now saying clean. And see, the very fact is, Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Jesus only had to die one time. That's why baptism, you would only go under one time and come up. You don't need to, some uh, churches might have you go under three times, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're losing the picture. Jesus went into that grave one time. He came out of that grave one time, and we're now free. That's the picture there in baptism, is that I, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. He also goes on to say, for in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, Excuse me, knowing that Christ being uh, raised from the dead, verse 9, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon, it means to account yourselves, ye also yourselves, to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God. I'm, Chris died April 30th, 1986. The old Chris, under the law, died. And I don't need to serve Chris anymore. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then when, you, when, you're, when someone is baptized, in that picture, they're saying, listen, for the rest of my life, I want to make Jesus my master. I want to follow him. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. He says, why are you giving in to all these actions? Neither yield to your members, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. If someone is truly saved, they should be different. You can't say you're a child of God and then continue to act like a child of the devil and say that you're God's child when there has been no change. Sin ought to bother you after you get saved. In verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? God forbid. Verse 15, someone says, I can do what I want now as a Christian. He said, that is foolish. What, shall I continue to sin because I'm no long, God doesn't judge me anymore? Does it matter now that I have my, my, my ticket to heaven? I'm freed before God. I no longer have to stand in the judgment hall of God. I can just do what I want. He said, God forbid you should do that. I'm not to live unto myself. Just because I'm no longer guilty and going to be condemned to hell? That doesn't give me a license, or it doesn't give me the, the, the ability to live as I want. But under, not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. He says, that's foolish. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from that heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Doctrine is the beliefs that guide how you live your life. You have believed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. 
And the fact is, who I yield myself to, I can be a Christian, but if I'm continually giving in to my lusts and I'm continually giving in to the things uh, that I want and I want to do, then I'm saying, I'm telling the world, yes, I told you I'm a Christian, but I, I'm still a servant of Satan. You don't lose your salvation, but you definitely leave a bad taste in the, taste of, in, in the, <laughs> the lips of the world. The other way of wrong living is to live as though sin will remove you from the good graces of God. You can't lose your salvation. For those who are saved. Now, some might people say, well, if you do enough bad sin, you have to, you can lose your salvation. I want to ask you, how much bad sin do you have? If you want to follow that thinking, how many bad sins do you have to do that God finally says, okay, you're no longer mine? How many bad sins do you have to do if you follow that thinking? That's not true. But how many, if you want to follow that thinking where you say you can lose your salvation, how many bad things do I have to do that I can lose my position as a child of God? Look with me at John chapter 3, verse 16. A very familiar verse. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if I believe in Jesus Christ, God gives me the promise you'll never perish. You'll have everlasting life. When does that stop? Never. It's everlasting. From the moment you accept Christ, you're born again. You have everlasting life. Everlasting has a start, but it has no end. You have a date when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I take this short rabbit trail on that idea, and there's a lot of other verses I could tell you, but Romans chapter 8, verses 38, 39, death, you know, or, or angels and principalities or all these things. Not, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. You can't lose what was a gift in the first place. Jesus is a gift. If God takes the gift back, it's not a real gift. You don't give a gift only to take the gift back. You don't give a gift and say, well, you, now you need to be a good person well, then I'm saying, God's saying, now you have to pay me for the gift. It's a gift. It's free. He doesn't say it costs you anything. It costs Christ everything, but it doesn't cost you anything but faith. So you can't lose what you never gained in the first place. The promise for everlasting life is upon the character of an unchanging God who made the promise. So unless God changes his character, the promise still stands. I've given this analogy before. If I was to give you a check and I wrote $5 million and I gave you the check, it would bounce and bounce hard. It, there'd be no money to give you that $5 million. But if a billionaire, let's say Elon Musk or someone like that, gives you a $5 million check, you're pretty sure that that check is good. 
because of the condition. You, you look at me and you're like, Pastor, you're, you're in the wrong place. If you could write a check that could actually have those funds. I don't. Okay? But you would be questioning, if I gave it to you, you're like, Pastor, what are you doing? Are you playing with me? This isn't, you're not going to get that kind of money out of me. I don't have it. But when God, who created this world, created you, he says, I'm going to give you everlasting life if you will accept by faith Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So as a Christian, God's not going to tempt you. You can't lose your salvation just because you're tempted. You can have a period of time in your life and you begin to give in to temptations. You might feel like I've lost my salvation, but that is a lie. The accuser of the brethren will tell you that, Satan. You can't lose what you never earned in the first place. Now, if you say no to temptations, and I understand there's times of our lives where we're weak. You know when Satan likes to hit you the hardest? You've been working a whole bunch, and you start getting tired. And then the temptations come. I just need a break. I'll watch this. I'll listen to this. You're just exhausted. You're tired. Man, what a great... I mean, he just comes in and... Poof, right when you're tired. Or maybe a tragedy happened, or maybe something else happens, and all of a sudden you're just like... oh, And then stuff starts to attack you right when you're weak. He knows when you're weak. He's watching. But if you are settled on what is right and what is wrong, you obeyed from the heart that doctrine which was delivered you. Look with me in verse 12 of James chapter 1. He shall receive the crown of life. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. What is that crown of life? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. When somebody is training for the Olympics, and then it says, but we an incorruptible. When somebody's training for the Olympics, they're training for a trophy that will perish. When one of the teenagers or the NFL or the NHL or the CFL or any of the other NBA or any of these other leagues... They're going for the Stanley Cup or some other big, you know, end of the year playoffs. They win. Woo! Uh, joy for a night, joy for a season, right? We are the world champions. But you know what? The next year, somebody else is going to win. And the next year, somebody else is going to win. Now, you might have repeat years, but nevertheless, you're going to repeat. Now, the Bible says we're going to get a crown someday. If you're striving for the mastery, hey, I want to be the best that I can be for Christ. You also find 
Look with me at 2 Timothy 4.8. You will get a crown as a Christian. Whether you are, it doesn't matter your position, as long as we're faithful for Christ. And I'm saying no to temptations. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. A number of crowns that we'll look at here. I need to hasten on. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Hey, are you looking for Jesus to return? He says, I'll give you a crown of righteousness. You get a crown of life. You get an incorrupt, there's an incorruptible crown. We get a crown of righteousness. In 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey, you're going to have some hard times in life. But even if you weren't a Christian, you're still going to have hard times. Ah, man, I'd much rather have Jesus with me in the trial than without, you know, than not with me. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Here's a crown of glory. This is speaking for pastors. But then in Revelation chapter uh, 2, verse 10, here's another crown. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The church of Smyrna would go through great persecution. He says, listen, church, you're going to have some hard times. You're gonna, some of you are going to die for the faith. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a crown of life if you're faithful unto death. You said, I'm just going to serve Jesus. Look with me at Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, once again spoken of. Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept thy word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. To try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Listen, the only way your crown is taken, and you'll get multiple crowns as a, as a Christian, the only way your crowns are taken is because of personal decisions to give in to temptations. Our human nature. You see, God judges the Christian on faithfulness. And as you grow, you know what? You might, not be, you might fail today in not being faithful as you should, but overall in your life, you should be becoming more and more faithful. You ought to be one with whom God can say, I can use this person. Man, I speak to them and they just follow my lead. They're more and more faithful. The more of the Word of God that gets in them, the more accountability they have. Man, more they learn about me, the more they're doing and just faithful for me. They're doing what I've called them to do. You know what? Our human nature is inclined or bent on sinning. If you have any parent, if you're a parent and you have young children, your children will, be, will grow up from, a, from their infancy, they will be selfish. 
We, as the Romans 7, 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I have to fight daily with my own selfishness. I have to fight daily with my own, you know, I really want to do this, but I know I probably shouldn't be doing it. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we have to battle on a daily basis. All of us do. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he's like, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. The Apostle Paul struggled as you and I did. It doesn't mean, well, I guess we're, I'm never going to be perfect, so I'll just, give it, I'll just give up and stop trying. No. Striving for the mastery. Man, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're training for the Olympics, you're going to have some days where you maybe are a little sore. Maybe it wasn't the best workout. Maybe you didn't have a performance. Uh, maybe you didn't have your personal best, a personal record. But you're still working out. You're still lifting weights. You're still running. You're striving for the mastery day in and day out. Maybe your devotions weren't as good today as they were yesterday. Maybe they weren't as good as they were a week ago. But stay in day in and day out. None of us are perfect. But because we're not perfect is not an excuse to just give up. We can run a race of life. It, life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It's a lot of patience. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> there is no quick fix. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs twenty four sixteen. look with me here. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. I need to hasten. Proverbs 24, 16. For a just man falleth seven times. A just man, when spoken of in the Bible, is a believer. Proverbs 24, verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times. You know what? You messed up. And riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know what? They don't get up. They don't have the strength. They don't have the Lord to give them, get them up. You see, Christian, you have a crown of life. There is blessings in saying no to temptation. Because whenever you're saying no to temptations, I'm saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to say no to someone. You're saying no to Christ if you say yes to temptations, or you're saying no to self and yes to Jesus. You're going to say no to someone and yes to someone else. You make the decision on who you want to say yes and no to. Now, at the very roots of our temptations, coming back here to James chapter 1, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted of the evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, how? When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Satan's going to tempt you with something that you want. You're thinking about, temptations will come, but the part where one is actually tempted and thinking about doing wrong is where the person is contemplating giving in to their fleshly desires, I'll just do it this one time. You know what? I deserve this. You see, when a thought proceeds from a thought to a how do I act on this thought, you've sinned. 
Just because you have a thought, you know, there's years ago I used to drink. There's been times in the years since then I've thought about drinking again. Just because that thought comes here isn't sin. The sin is when I partake. The sin is when I'm like, oh, I wish I could have had that again. And I begin to reminisce in my mind, oh, those were the good old days. No, they weren't the good old days. Just because a thought comes is not mean I'm sinning. The point of infection of sin comes when I begin to not just, not a thought comes in, but I contemplate. I begin to, just like a cow with, its, with, the, with the, the food, it's chewing on the cud, it begins to just kind of ponder in your mind. You begin to think about it. That word drawn away here, from, which means to draw out, to lure as you would a hunter you know, a hunter might, with deer, he might put out a whole bunch of apples around a tree to get the deer to come to that tree so you up in your tree stand can go boom, boom, boom and kill them. You're luring. Or you put a nice jig with a nice little minnow on it and you're, you know, you're getting your little thing as you're fishing. You're trying to lure the fish in so you can catch it because there's something you want. Satan knows what you want. He'll take what God has given for good. For instance, an individual might say, hey, you know, I want, this, I want to be in a relationship with this one person. You know what? It's okay if I have relations before marriage. It's okay. We're going to get married anyways. That's not what God says. You take what God says and you said, well, I'll just give in to it. It's okay. Because we're going to do right in the end anyways. That's not what God says. You're enticed like a fish is to the bait. Like a bear is to the bait. Like a trapper is to pull in the wolverine or something else. Hey, here's some enticing thing. You know, if there was something there that you hated, you wouldn't go for it. Satan never wants to tempt Temptation isn't going to, you know, the, the temptation that there is not something like, oh, I hate that. If he knows it doesn't work on you, you know, he knows all of our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. Satan knows. I mean, he's, he's worked on us before to know when we fall. Your weaknesses might be different than mine, but there's still a weakness. I'm more inclined to this particular sin than you are. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. It just means he knows where my weaknesses are. Hey, if I can go to a honey hole and get a whole bunch of fish, I'm going to keep you. You know, why do fishermen ask, what type of lure did you use? What type of bait did you use? Where did you go? Because they know the type of bait that the fish in that location like. And if you want fish, you want to repeat it. Because it works. The Bible tells us, in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, deliver, the Lord delivereth him out of them all. That's there in Psalm 34, 19. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, there in the, the Lord Jesus Christ would talk about the Lord's prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, please help keep me from my own flesh that wants to give in. Look with me at Romans chapter 7, verse 15. 
Now I understand we look at someone else, they don't struggle like, I, man, I'm just the worst of Christians. Stop comparing amongst ourselves amongst ourselves. And the Bible says that's not, you're not wise. I don't compare myself to you. You don't compare yourself to me. The only comparison that we're going to make is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Galatians, Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, uh, For that which I do, I allow not. He says, What I want to do for God, I don't, I don't allow. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If I then do that which I would not, I consent to the law that is good. Paul's saying, hey, man, there's a battle going on inside. All of us have battles. Because, yes, I'm saved, but I'm still in a body that is carnal. I still have the old nature. Yes, I've got the Spirit of God. And if I'm walking with God, I'm not giving in to this. And the more, and I have people all the time, they, they go back in their addictions, they go back into them. I said, you know, it's kind of like this man has these two dogs. The analogy is. And the man says, on this gambling, it's not good, but the guy says, on this round, this particular dog is going to win. Whatever color of dog. Dog A and dog B. He says, dog A is going to win today. He says, well, how do you know it? He says, the dog you feed is the dog that wins. So if I'm feeding dog A and starving dog B, dog B is going to have a really hard time winning if it's starving and not had food in several days. If I'm continually giving in to the flesh and I'm continually listening to the things of the world and I'm continually letting all this worldly input come in, what makes me think I'm not going to give in to the flesh? Because the input that's coming in is strengthening my fleshly desires to want to do wrong. If we are willing to let God, we're willing to let Him, you see, you're a masterpiece of God. He is trying hard to form you into a beautiful vessel, figuratively speaking that would bring much honor and glory to himself. To himself, excuse me. We have, you know, that's why I'm saying, and I say a lot, I said, listen, you've got to be in this book. Meditating. It's not just reading it, you're meditating. Hey, what is this book saying today? What is it? I'm reading through this, I don't quite understand it. Okay, I'm going to keep reading, or maybe sometimes you'll get a commentary, and I, and I use commentaries at times. I understand some of them, and try to understand their theological positions, but sometimes they're helpful. There's some things, and they give some input. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't know that cultural uh, reason why that passage of Scripture is talking about this. Oh, it helps to make sense from a cultural understanding, because now I'm putting myself in the shoes uh, of those to whom these inspired God, and, you know, whom the Holy Spirit of God is working through these penmen, and, and to this particular crowd that this letter is written, and now I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Because I'm putting myself in the shoes of those who are receiving the very letter, which is now part of God's Word. It helps to understand, you see, the culture of the Bible. 
the book that's written is written many times to a particular audience. Matthew, the book of Matthew was written, and a lot of the stuff in Matthew has a Jewish reader in mind. Luke is more of a Gentile audience. So there's some of the differences. You know, understanding that's going to help you. But in meditating upon this book, I'm now feeding spiritually. I listen to, when I'm working out sometimes, I'll listen to preachers. Hey, I need preaching just as much as you do. What are the results of temptation? And we found this, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. An individual that maybe drinks their first drink, takes their first drag, a person who looks at their first inappropriate thing, or does, gives in to a particular emotion, and they continue to give in to that emotion, maybe it's anger, they continue to give in to it, and give in to it, and give in to it, it's going to continue to get worse. It's not going to bring life. It's going to bring a trail of carnage. The results of temptation, an illustration here, the pitcher plant is a carnivorous plant that uses a sneaky method to attract its prey. It is similar to the way Satan tries to attract us into the sinful living. The plant is brightly colored, mimicking flowers. It has nectar-secreting glands that will make a trail of sweet nectar that starts at the ground and leads up the outer walls of the leaves. Ants, ants are attracted to the nectar and follow the path up the plant into the mouth of its trumpet that is filled with so many nectar glands it may be wet. Below these nectar glands, the plant's trumpet-shaped tube is waxy and very slick. This is the start of the plant's slippery slope where the victims lose their footing on the inner walls and slide down into the increasing narrow tube of the plant. Down inside the plant, the inner walls of the plant is lined with glands that secrete digestive enzymes which trickle down and collect at the bottom of the plant's trap. The insect continues to slip lower to where the surrounding wall is lined with downward-pointing hairs that discourage an exit. In some species, the bottom fluid contains an ingredient to stun the struggling captive. At the bottom, there may even be a wetting agent that helps soak and drown the victim. If that ant comes to that plant, man, it eats and it's like, whoa, this is good. And then it eats a little bit more. Man, this is good. Man, I feel good. Ah, that whole Christian thing about resisting that. Ah, they're a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. Man, they don't know what they're talking about. This is good. And you begin to indulge. And then you indulge a little bit more. And, and you're walking up that stalk of that plant. And man, whoa, this is good. I'm going to take this back to the colony. And how, man, these old Christians, they don't know what they're talking about. They're missing out all the fun. They don't know how good I feel. And they keep going in. Until finally, you're too far in, and you're trapped. There's no way out. You see, sin is enticing. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and becometh unfruitful. How many people have I found, because of money, they're no longer in church. They're now working, trying to keep up with all the comforts and niceties and gather more and more stuff unto themselves. The cares of this world choke the Bible. The Bible has no more significance in their lives. 
and they become unfruitful. I could tell you a story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the people, and God killed them. I could tell you the story of Demas who forsook Paul, having loved this present world, the cares of this world. Man, the comforts and all the fun of this world had more attraction than Jesus Christ did. What about in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Eat this fruit. Man, it'll open your eyes and you'll really know the truth. Man, you'll really have a good time. That God, He doesn't know what He's talking about. God doesn't know all the good you could have if you just give in. What about David there on the rooftop? I, if you were to talk to David today, he would tell you, I would have never gone to that rooftop. Because there on that rooftop, as he looks down, he sees a bathing woman, and she's showering. And he inquires after, who's that woman? They say, David, she is Uriah's wife. He said, bring her to me. They have immorality. They have adultery. A child is born. Uriah dies. He tries to get Uriah drunk. Again, alcohol is not used for a good thing. But his first was his laziness and not doing what he should have been. David should have been in battle. He shouldn't have been back at the palace. How many times in our lives do we know we should do something? We know we should be in church. We know we should be in the Bible. But I'm just too lazy. I'm too tired. David was merely laziness to be where he should have been for God. And he was back in the palace. And he created a great problem. His second mistake was on the rooftop. Third mistake was inquiring about the lady. His fourth, the thought came in, man, she's a beautiful lady. Let that thought stop right there. David, you already have a wife. You have several wives at this point. Don't go any further. Get off that rooftop. Run from that thought. He brought her, in fourth mistake, he, he brought her to himself to be immoral. Number four, he was immoral. Number six, uh, mistake, he tried to cover up the sin by bringing her husband home. Uh, and then those in sin seek to get others to join in. How often is it that I, I know in gangs and other things, hey, I want you to go hit this person. I want you to go stab this person. Uh, you know, kids like, hey, come and smoke a joint with me. Hey, come and smoke a cigarette. Hey, have this cup of beer with me. You want company of others that are doing wrong. Join in. It's all fun. David tried to pull Uriah from the battle lines. Try, he got him drunk, trying to get him to go home to his wife, and so David could have covered up that Bathsheba was pregnant. His seventh mistake is he gave a letter that led to Uriah's death. His eighth mistake is having Uriah very, carry that own death warrant. And there are many other points. What would David lose as a result of his adulterous actions? Number one, the first son would die. Number two, Amnon, his son, uh, raped the half, his, other, his daughter from another wife, uh, Tamar. Absalom was killed after trying to kill his dad. Adonijah was killed after trying to take over Solomon's throne. He lost four children because of a thought that never stopped. Is it really serious that you deal with your thoughts? In Romans chapter 7, verse 11, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Ephesians 6, 16 talks about quench all the fiery darts of the wicked man. Satan will shoot a lot of thoughts. Don't have to give in. Look with me. This is probably one of the most important. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 
If there's, on the very thought life, if there's ever an important verse, this is the verse. There's many verses, but this is an unbelievably important verse. A thought is not sin. Now, dwelling on that thought, continuing to think about that particular thought, that's where your sin. Right? Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes, why then should I think upon a maid? Job says, I'm not going to think upon a maid. I have a wife. I'm not going to get... If a woman, she's appealing to me, I'm not going to think upon her. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations. Those are your thoughts. Those are things, man, I wish I could do this. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity... How many thoughts? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, I'm going to take those thoughts. I'm going to say, God, is this appropriate? Or if I know the Scriptures, you know, I'm, you know someone might have a problem with lying. And so you go to the Bible, what does God really say about lying? And you'll find 40-some-odd reasons why the Bible talks about lying is wrong. And one after another after another, and you're like, oh, I don't think God likes lying. I don't think there's a difference between white lies and black lies. It's just a lie. A lie is a lie that is a lie. Whatever color you want to put upon it. I don't care if it's purple, green, black, whatever you want to call it, a lie is a lie. Bringing into captivity every thought... You see, in order to resist these temptations, I've got to stay near Jesus. I've got to stay in the book. I need to know the Lord. I need to have that very close relationship with Him. You see, the results of giving in to these allurements of sin have great potential, and they keep our hearts, and, but what we must do is keep our hearts and minds fixed upon the Lord. In conclusion, the secret of temptations, cast them aside. The secret of temptations is to filter them through what does the Bible say. Now, it's easy to do for someone else. Hey, this is, you know, I see you're kind of doing this wrong. It's easy to do on someone else. It's a whole lot harder for ourselves because I really want what I want. It's kind of like a little kid in the candy store, you know. I want that. You know, my daughter got this magazine, all these kids' toys, and she's like, I want this toy. Daddy, I want this toy. Daddy, I want this toy. Well, you know, for myself, when I want something, and I love it when, you know, I'm doing something. My, my wife, for a period of time, she's like, don't say the word stupid. Because my daughter might use it wrong towards, you know, this person is stupid, and we don't want her to say that. And so there was a period of time, and I, I've, I've gotten used to it. I'm like, oh. You know, I get frustrated with something. I'm like, this is so stupid. And she's like, we don't say that, Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's easy to say for someone else. But when you really want to do it and you really want to say it, it's a whole lot harder. I've, I've got to realize, you know what? It's a whole lot easier to not go, to not give in. As much as I want to, and your whole body might be craving it. If your body's craving it, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 
Flee fornication. That means run if it's coming towards you and there's a temptation. Now this particular is fornication, which is all sexual relations outside of marriage, but flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sitteth against his own body, saying, hey, if you want to have relations with a woman, she better be your wife. And if not, run, flee. I mean, it's like you have an attacker coming at you with a gun or a knife or an axe or whatever else, and you're like, I'm not staying here. If a bear's chasing me, I'm not sticking around. If I have a gun, I'm going to shoot it, you know. But, I mean, I, know, I mean, I don't know if you play dead or what you do, but if I have something chasing at me, I'm not going to just like, oh, do nothing. I'm getting out of there. Somehow, some way or other, I'm getting out of there. Final verse, James chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm done. How, verse verse 4 of James 4, go back a little bit for context. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity, means you're at odds with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. If you have pride in your life, you're against God. Excuse me. But giveth grace unto the humble. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to whom? To God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're going to submit. If you're submitting to yourself and your lusts and your desires, you're submitting to Satan, and you're resisting God. Right? God resists the proud. And so if I want... We have a choice. You're submitting to someone. It's a whole lot easier to submit to someone I know that cares for me than to, (laughs) you know, it might be for a moment. And man, you might be like, I want to say yes to this thing I really, really, really want to do. But I'm going to say no. And then that temptation goes. There's that settled peace. I did good. Man, I'm thankful I've served the Lord. I please the Lord. So as I draw this to a close this evening, in thought for yourself, I trust the secret of temptation. You know what? Recognize it's a temptation and say no. The thought isn't bad, but to dwell on that thought, kick out those thoughts and do what is right. And bringing all thoughts into obedience to Christ. So where you're at tonight, wherever you're seated, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you bow your head and take time to talk with the Lord when you're done? I trust you look up, and I'll conclude us in a word of prayer. If you've never been saved, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're watching, you're here tonight, I'd encourage you, if you've never been saved, if you were to die, where are you going to spend eternity? Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? Do you know that He's forgiven your sins? You said, I know He died on the cross. Well, that's good. But have you ever asked Him in faith to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior? Christian, the truth is, resist the devil and he'll flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, and you, my friend, will be victorious. You'll have crown, 
crowns waiting for you to someday give back to the Lord.